0: And so the
1: brothers of in
0: Hello, and welcome to Roots of the I'm Um
1: and our guest, as always, is Excellency Bishop Daniel Dolan, um, pastor of uh, St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. Your Excellency, it's been a long break, but we are very happy to have you back with us.
0: Thank you. I hope that the long break has served to whet the appetite of our audience to find out a little bit more about how did all of these things happen?
1: Yes, certainly so. And before we get to any of that, um, can you please lead us in a prayer?
0: I'll be very happy to. We're we're recording the show on the feast day of the holy name of Mary. So we'll pray a Hail Mary, and then, then the collect of the prayer of her feast. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.
1: Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen.
0: To thy faithful people, rejoicing in the name and protection of the most holy Virgin Mary, Vouchsafe, almighty God, we beseech thee, through her loving intercession, to be delivered from all evils here on earth, and to be accounted worthy to enter into everlasting joys in heaven. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
1: Well, it's been a while. Uh, we've been tracing, for those who are coming to the second half of the season, not having uh, been privileged enough to hear some of His Excellency's earlier episodes on this topic, I would encourage you to go back into the archive and, and, and take a take a listen to some of the earlier Roots of the Rock. We started in the Roman Empire. And I would say yes. we had to do the groundwork to get to this episode, Your Excellency, but I don't think it would be an understatement to say that Today's episode and what we're going to be covering, which is the French Revolution, is quite possibly the most important episode in this series. I, I would argue it's mm-hmm. certainly uh, one of the most important episodes I've ever done on Restoration Radio. One of the Stephen, uh,
0: I have a thought. You, yes. you said that I may leave uh, that I may leave the audience hanging but uh, the French Revolution will have left them headless because the old guillotine would be rolled in and their heads would be chopped off. So I, I think we have to say about, about this topic, is it is indeed the, the one crucial subject, not only because it tells us the future, what happens after 1798, and why, and uh, 89 rather, and why are we in such a mess today in the Catholic Church and in the world? But also because the French Revolution encapsulates in itself all of the false ideas that we've been looking at in this series, all the false ideas which Satan inspired over the centuries, and particularly the revolutions, the great Protestant revolt, uh, which, which had their horrible uh, blossoming, their fruition, their bitter fruition in the French Revolution.
1: You know, you're, you, you make a reference to the guillotine and the head being chopped off, but I feel like our heads are still off. I mean, the only person I know who really can deal with a chopped off head is Saint Denis. The rest of us just have to 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 deal with it, and I think that um we sh- the world is still dealing with a cut off head and if, if maybe you can put a Frankenstein monster back together, but only our Lord is going to restore this this guillotined head it wasn't and and I think that's the other thing you're actually and we'll talk about this in the next episode because it's too much to cover in this episode, but it wasn't just France's head that got cut off subsequently all the rest of us uh, lost our heads as well
0: and in, 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 indeed we did uh, it, if you don't understand the french revolution you won't understand anything that was happened to all of uh, What what was Christendom at one time? The the remnants of of Christian culture and civilization. It all all started. It all came to the boiling point, I think you'd have to say, in the the French Revolution. And the story of the French Revolution touches, you might say, all of the bases too. And then that explains, that explains a large measure. Ah, the, talk about being headless, the the idea of dichotomy being chopped up and separated, uh, that Modern man, including someone who's trying to be a good Catholic, would uh, necessarily feel today. But I think I would say this, Stephen. I would say that that you're supposed to feel headless. You're supposed to feel with your. Uh, not only do they the bad guys not want you to think, but you're supposed to feel headless. That is to say, without, without a sense of principles and the body divided from the head, because that's the spirit of these revolutions, especially with Martin, with Martin Luther. The idea is that of utter and total division. What a, you know, what a, what a folly the modern movement of ecumenism is. They're going to, um, as, as, as we'll see today with Freemasonry, they're going to attempt a naturalistic solution to man's religious divisions. Um, Whereas the truth of the matter is that this comes about only through Jesus Christ.
1: And the divisions
0: came about through Satan and all of those who freely in their pride chose to follow him, this idea of separation. The Catholic Church is already united, and she alone possesses the key for uh, a, a unified physiognomy for the head to be back on the body very firmly and for the head to be back uh, in, on the throne of Peter, the throne of, of the national kingdoms, especially the French throne, and uh, for there to be order in, in political as well as religious society for Christendom's re- re- restoration. That only comes through through our Lord. So say there's, there's a lot of important things for us to look at today. Well, your Excellency, uh,
1: can I start... Um... And I know there's a lot of different directions we can go, and I'm, I'm really going to let you be our guide here today. Um, and can I start with this quote to to sort of uh, be our our marker, which is, Corruptio Optima Pessima. And I don't want to give the impression that the French were the best, um, but all of Europe looked to France uh, prior to the revolution. And as a result, um, the fall was a... a uh, Europe-wide fall. It wasn't just something that France was subject to, but as I said, we were all subject to it. Um, can you set the stage by by getting us up to this time period?
0: The uh, the French, of course, would love to hear you say that. That's that's like uh, that's like cream in the bowl of a cat. They're just going to lap this one up. But 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 as a, but as a matter of fact, uh, it is true because because in the in the divine plan, the importance of France, the eldest daughter of the Church. For weal or for woe, uh, during my last visit, I think I pointed this out to a, to a French, one of, the, one of our French priests, and he said, "We oui, may malheureusement, la France n'était jamais à la mesure. France was never up to it, unfortunately. Yes, it's true, but France was never up to it for what our Lord expected and demanded of his people. So, um, really, from, from, every, from every point of view... France uh, was a very important nation. France was an important nation uh, with immense uh, economic and political power and a tremendous cultural influence. Remember that until well, probably World War I, the diplomatic, yes, until World War I, the diplomatic language was uh, was French. World War I was declared, actually, in, in, in French. Um, because of, so France is so very important because of her ancient Catholicism, her, her as I say, the military and economic power, and also this this great cultural influence, so France was in a position to pump out these ideas to all of the world, and that's we'll see later on towards the end of the show. That's what Napoleon did effectively by his all the wars of the first first uh, decades of the nineteenth of the, uh, century. Uh, that's that's a little bit about the the importance of France, um, and about about the history that that leads us up to it. Let's. Um, Let's talk about about what a revolution, I guess, as usual, we should probably define terms. What's a revolution? Father Fahey gives in his wonderful book, which I recommend highly to everybody, uh, The Mystical Body of Christ and the Reorganization of Society, he gives us uh, two ways of taking the word revolution. First of all, that of a radical transformation of society, undertaken for the purpose of destroying the ancient order, which was based on the recognition of the rights of God through the mystical body of Christ and the reality of that supernatural life of grace, which is our highest and our noblest life. So that's the first one. It's radical transformation of society, a society which heretofore have been based on the recognition of God's rights, first and foremost. The second signification is derived from the first. Uh, the word can be applied to the doctrine or the principles in the name of which this social transformation has been accomplished, and it can also be applied to the new institutions that are set up in the place of those that have been overthrown. The aim of revolution, therefore, is based on the denial of God's rights, the denial of our supernatural life, and is the enthronement of what? as the French did literally in Notre-Dame Cathedral, it's the enthronement of man's reason as supreme. When, they, when the French enthroned a prostitute as, a, as the goddess of reason on the high altar of Notre-Dame Cathedral, that's what they were, they were enacting in a symbolic way, what, what the entire French Revolution accomplished. Um, so naturalism and rationalism then were enthroned and then put into practice in daily life. So that's Let's, we could start with that, maybe that's the definition of a of a revolution. Uh, and then next, I think we need to talk a little bit about just maybe in, under the guise of a review, because it's always good to have a review uh, about the other revolutions. Um, I, I mentioned about division. That's what I'd like people to always keep in mind, because you know there's all this smarmy talk and song and everything about unity and why can't we all just get along and everything. Why why are we why is there such a Why is that vision of the the guillotine and the headless citizen, why is that so appropriate? That's the essence of the revolution, chopping off people's heads. The essence of Luther's revolt was a division between the Christian and the citizen, chopped off, divided, two separate entities, two separate mentalities. Um... Earthly activity was merely earthly and had only a naturalistic value. Nothing to do, remember, with your eternal salvation. Wow, what a radical idea. That was Luther's idea. Um, so political action, business dealings, Luther and Calvin are in, are in agreement on this, are, are just left to the guidance of um, of private, private judgment. And so... And um, inevitably, what's private judgment going to give you? Inevitably, like in five minutes, it's going to yield to the promptings of self-interest. What's best for me? What do I want right now and today? Not what does God want, but what do I want? So individualism, this division in religion, prepared the way for individualism and separation, the spirit of separation in the political world and in economic world. Naturalism grows out of that. This is the manure in which naturalism can grow. Uh, that naturalism, remember what's that? Naturalism says that man can accomplish his, his purpose in, in existence, his life here below, without any reference to anything outside of himself. A supernatural revelation, a God, an unseen world that has nothing to do with it. You can believe that stuff privately if you want to, but the reality is, is what you see is what you give and what you get and that's all that matters that's um that's naturalism now because of uh this this division and because of the, the separation of man from god the, and the introduction of the crucial uh the, the crucial um, principle of what what the uh, it's called, the French called livre examen, a free examination. That is to say that everyone, every Christian, divided up again, every Christian is his own, he is his own priest, he is his own teacher, he is his own prophet. Uh, because of that, everyone comes up with his own idea about religion. And then there are these immense religious wars, 100 years war and all the rest of it in France, coming out of the Protestant revolt of, of Martin Luther and the rest who who followed him, the devil, seeing all of that, Father Faye he says, um, takes advantage of it and says, and in effect, he inspires people to say, well, look, now we everyone is all disagreed about religion, so why don't we agree as a remedy for all of these divisions? These, and you could you could you could float this today on any news channel. And from most pulpits, too, and people would salute this this would be the flag um, why don't we agree uh that um it's that uh, these are all these are all just personal and subjective ideas, and since we're basically good people, we 're rational, thinking human beings, the devil further promotes um why don't we just establish this, the brotherhood of man on a natural level? And so we can all, as individuals and as nations, sort of get along with each other. And, and we could, we get together and we'll solve our, our quarrels. Um, this, this sounds good to people. It sounds really good, especially coming out of a context of constant religion, religious wars and uh, quarrels and divisions, uh, such as we're still experiencing today. That's really the origin of, of of the revolution itself, the French Revolution, to a large measure, and certainly of Freemasonry, this worldwide secret fraternity or brotherhood of men who wanted to promote... To prom- to promote human values and a human solution to what they saw as a religiously imposed problem war, division, bloodshed, that sort of thing. So Freemasonry comes into the scene right away for, for we're explaining the, the history of the Revolution. It's a, Faye calls it a, a naturalistic caricature of the church, of the mystical body of Christ. Um, and the, the French Revolution of 1798 was, was the first, was the, the fruit of, of Freemasonry. We've got to be very clear about that. Uh, f- f- imitating, as it were, like, a de- like, a de- like Antichrist. It's a, it's a demonic mirror image, but false, of the unity of, of Christianity. Now you have it as the unity of Freemasonry and pantheism. Since there is no revealed religion from God, everybody is God. And yours, you have a bit of divinity in you, and so do I, and your ideas are... And that leads to equality and fraternity and, and liberty, all of these all these modern ideas. So that's a little bit, some of the... Um, maybe like a bit of a review and, and a bit of a, a way to position ourselves here.
1: Well, and you I. i I know that we often remake reference to America. I, I was chatting with uh, with one of our owners today, and we found out that we have some listeners in Kazakhstan. So this, this oh. may not uh, apply directly to them, but I was thinking about the United States and and our attitude towards revolution, that um, it's complicated, isn't it? Uh, because I think we're, we grow up to think that a revolution is a noble thing that is undertaken by patriots. In fact, you might even make a movie with Mel Gibson called the patriot and it <laughs> yeah, would be a, indeed, yeah. a wonderful thing to take up arms against a government uh, and you know it's easy to throw the word tyrant around i mean it is easy to be a tyrant these days but uh, it's even easier mm-hmm. to to misremember people as tyrants uh, i think um it's been pointed out numerous times that uh, americans were never so lightly taxed as under george the third if only we could go yes, back to the Boston Tea Party, <laughs> for those right. of us who, who pay quite a lot of taxes. What, 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 is, um, what should be a Catholic's attitude towards revolution generally, and how is it complicated for Americans, especially given our role in the French Revolution?
0: It's, it's complicated for us because we live and work and function in the world of, um, in the world of revolution. Um, Father Fahy says that as, as, as soon as we come out of church, where this, this hits us, if you will indulge me. I have to read to you something from Father Fahy on that very subject, and I'm glad you asked about that. He says the pressure of this disordered naturalism we've been talking about has made life very hard for Catholics in the states that have accepted the principles of the French Revolution. That's the good old United States, as well as La France. At Mass... They profess with our Lord their readiness, and this is so beautiful. This is a classic, Father Fehe, and so Catholic. They profess their readiness to bring the whole social life of their country into subjection to God the Father, whose will it is that they should strive to realize His Son's program in the organization of society, and thus help their fellow men to live as, as members of Christ. Uh, but. The moment they come out of church, as soon as uh, Mass is over, then they find the whole social fabric organized against Christ the King. The result has been what? It's division and it is decay. The so called Protestant Reformation, the revolt, uh, separates again, separates social life, separates political and economic life from Christ. And exposes, and exposes it to the natural, all possible naturalistic motives and influences. So the whole of our life is no longer subject to Christ as the right order of the world in which all are called to be members of Christ. Uh, the, the French Revolution sees the organized naturalistic forces that, that form the visible portion of this army of Satan coming into control of the state, and aiming at bringing the whole of life in subjection to whom? To themselves. So society, is to- by revolution, has now been totally reorganized. Uh, instead of being organized in harmonious subordination to Christ and to the supernatural principles, now poor fallen man uh, has to try to live somehow in this whole, in a society which is entirely organized against our Lord, in effect, I don't think it would be an exaggeration to say he lives in an anti-Christ society. And that's the difficulty uh, in which we find ourselves. Well, today, but our fellow Catholics in the United States, France, really throughout the world, have always found themselves in that position. Um, and that's that's how you have, um, so again, the classic sense, with historical figures say in American Catholicism and in French, you have those who uh, followed what was known as liberal Catholicism. Uh, those who Those who wanted to see an accommodation of the Catholic Church with this new civilization, the principles of the French Revolution. On the other hand, not so much in the United States, But certainly in France and in other countries, there have been those who forthrightly condemned the French Revolution and the revolutionary ideals, Pius IX after 1848, the great St. Pius X. Monsignor de Lasse, Stone-Gueranger, Cardinal P. Uh Uh-oh, these names are getting really French here. But it is the French uh, uh, faithful to their historical duty who have raised their voices and and have been willing to suffer for this. I was just reading an interesting article the other day about how the the greatest living early 20th century theologian, the French cardinal, uh, the Jesuit, and then later on, Cardinal and then non-cardinal again, Father Billo, uh, under Pius XI, uh, how he, he he saw what was going, what was going on in the practical politics of the Church concerning France and how firmly he opposed it, and because of that he lost his. He's actually lost. His he didn't lose his head, but he lost his cardinal's hat because he was anti-revolutionary. The, the tendency has always been, and it's our tendency to make your peace with the revolution, and to just go on, to go on with things and, and just to do your best. And so then you end up as being sort of like a conservative or Catholic Freemason almost. Do you think, is that is that fair to say, Stephen? Could you say that? You become
1: a member of your local Rotary Club, Your Excellency, or the Lions, or <laughs> Kiwanis, or the Optimists, or yeah. whatever, these, whatever other the, uh, front organizations that the, orga- the organized forces of naturalism have put up to fool the... Uh, the Gentiles,
0: yeah and the, and the local clergy, the Catholic priest takes his term when he 's invited to to the luncheon and to give an invocation, and it sounds fine, right because we 're all we 're all here to fight for democracy and we 're fighting against this or that evil, and sometimes indeed they did uh, many times they did true good, and sometimes they opposed true evil there 's no question about that. But it's always in this, in this Antichrist world where a little bit of good will be permitted in order to promote on the level of theory and thought, word, an awful lot of evil. Uh, you know, I think about this, too, in connection with today's feast. And if we're talking about the Revolution and we're talking about Freemasonry, uh, it is, it, it's fascinating to think about this, how even the greatest, sometimes even the greatest of our kings, and the greatest of our Catholics of the uh, of the so-called era of the Enlightenment were uh, themselves Freemasons. How Mozart was a Freemason. How there were two great lodges in, in, in Vienna. And one was the Catholic Lodge, so-called the Catholic Lodge, if you can, and the other was the Anti-Catholic Lodge. One which was culturally Catholic, and the other. That was was a true Jacobin, a true revolutionary, revolutionary kind of of an approach to to Freemasonry. Um, Today's feast, uh, 1683, the victory of the Battle of Vienna, uh, led by the great Polish king Jan Sobieski over uh, the the Turkish sultan, far outnumbered, far outnumbered, but some Germans joined the Poles and... uh, they they won a stunning victory by Our Lady. They besought Our Lady's assistance and and they prayed the Rosary on the way. They had a forced march from Chnstojove. They left on the, uh, the the Black Madonna on the 15th of August and they finally arrived on 9/11 in uh, on the hills overlooking Vienna. And uh, the King himself insisted on serving Mass on, on this morning, on the morning of the 12th. And the, the victory was tremendous. But the amazing thing to me to me is and this: this explains how the devil almost forces all of us to do business in this world today. The King Jan Sobieski, for all of his glory, he was a Freemason, a uh, member of Father Tritek, uh, our, our priest in Poland in Krakow, showing me the cathedral and the crypt of the cathedral, uh, the royal um, the royal palace. In, in which were buried so many of the, of, of the great kings of Poland. And somewhat apologetically, he, he noted that to me. I wasn't shocked or surprised, but that's that form of so-called benign Freemasonry that was absolutely everywhere. Uh, Louis XVI's two brothers were, were Freemasons. And of course, the, the cousin, the Duke d'Orléans, who condemned him, he was a Freemason. Louis the XVI's uh, confessor was a Freemason. Everybody was a Freemason in that world. And that... Takes us back again, maybe to an understanding of how could it have happened? This French Revolution. Well, it's it's the work of Freemasonry, which is a secret conspiracy. Never forget, and it happened by means of, of plotting and planning. But it happened too by 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 means of um, uh, by means of the world of thought that the philosophes, the encyclopedists, as they're called, to all of these false uh, rationalistic, anti-clerical ideas that got in, and then if you were fashionable, you you bought into to all of those ideas, and then I, ideas have consequences, and eventually this came about. But before we go to uh, maybe talking a lot about the role of Freemasonry in the French Revolution, I would like to talk about some of the other. Uh, causes that I believe led to the, free, led to the, uh, to the French Revolution, I, it's almost as though, you'd have to be very qualified in saying this, uh, it's almost as though France is the eldest daughter of the Church. She is sort of, a in the new dispensation of grace, she is a sort of a new Eve, in a sense. And that's just very, very, very qualified in the sense that in, in, in the sense that our first parents, by their sin, condemned us to original sin and, and to concupiscence and to all of the perduring effects of original sin. Um, the whole human race fell with Adam and Eve. In a sense, the whole human race fell with France, the eldest daughter. When she fell, everybody fell. That's, that's the importance of France. Uh, in, in the in the divine plan, what the French call, I think correctly, uh, the divine mission of France, uh, it's more in theory than in practice. It reaches its high point with the Saint Joan of Arc, uh, and that you see the individual cases of it with these great great saints through, uh, through uh, the little flower at the end of the 19th century. Wonderful, wonderful saints, It's incredible saints, flowering of sanctity, and then all of, the, and all of the incredibly important Marian apparitions in France, too. The importance of France, the eldest daughter of the Church. So you can't understand the causes of the French Revolution without having this concept that God punished the French. He punished them and their monarchy for Gallicanism and for Jansenism, for unleashing these horrible heresies that did so much to hurt the life and the growth of the church. Uh, God punished the French for Louis XIV's uh, anti-Catholic wars, his siding his with uh, Protestant uh, Sweden, for example, in the Hundred Years' War. Uh, because it was politically expedient for France to do this, the French did it. The French government did it. There, there is all politics. And remember the Lutheran idea? Everybody's all chopped up into pieces. And so on Sunday when I go to Mass, or for the French kings in the morning when I go to Mass, I'm a Catholic on my knees before my God, but the rest of the day, I'm an autonomous creature. I don't answer to God. God answers to me, and I make the decisions. That's that division. That's Martin Luther, and really even before Martin Luther, we saw that with, uh, with nominalism and uh, this idea of laicism and Philip the Fair. So our... our Audience will want to go back maybe and listen to some of the earlier roots of the rot to, to get a real idea because these are very important ideas. Um, God punished, and then God also punished the French because he and his, after all of this was done, here they are, so crucially important, all of this was done. Our Lord, in the, in the excessive abundance of the love of his Sacred Heart, gives to St. Margaret Mary a message to my well beloved son. Louis the fourteenth. And I I will he promises that he'll bless Louis. He'll bless his kingdom. He'll he'll bless his family. He'll he'll bless the army with success for their for their wars, everything. And all our all, all our Lord asks is that he should be acknowledged as the king of France, and that the sacred heart should be put upon the royal emblem. The sacred heart should be put upon the flag of France. France should be consecrated to the sacred heart and nothing. There's no response. There's no nothing. Uh, finally, um, Louis XVI, uh, shortly before his death, does consecrate France, but it's too late. It's too late. And so I think the French Revolution, the the the, the French losing, the, literally lose the France lost its head. The, the king was decapitated. Uh, the, the, that that came about because they refused to bow down to our Lord as, as their head, the Sacred Heart, who desired to um, to rule over them. That's from, from a spiritual point of view, the divine mission of France. I think from a, a natural point of view, le- leading up to the French Revolution, uh, would be, as well, the idea of the the, uh, the abuse of the monarchy. The medieval monarchy, carefully circumscribed, the rights and duties in its relationship to the to the nobility and its relationship to the uh, to the uh, ordinary people of France uh, that that was depassed by this um heretical notion of the divine right of kings how they didn't have to answer to anybody at all and then to a corresponding centralization so that all of France becomes centralized in Paris or in Versailles and uh, the king and the king alone, he has all the power. Well, then that's, that's a form of tyranny. That's not, that's not Catholic monarchy. It never was. Our principle is that of subsidiarity, uh, that, that things should be taken care of on the lowest possible level po- uh, conceivable if for the organization of society. That's Catholic social teaching. So, uh, from a natural point of view, they pave the way for this revolution. Then, uh, as, I, as I said before, by the, the French philosophs, by the, the French um, encyclopedists, uh, and all of these, all of these false ideas that we've spoken of earlier in this uh, in, in this show today, you, you see it all. You see it all coming to fruition the French Revolution. It certainly wasn't about bread, though, was it, Stephen? <laughs> you know, in the old canard about qu'ils monge de brioche, that Marie Antoinette is supposed she never, to never. I say, mean, we oh, don't, even know. We no don't even
1: know that she said that. We don't even know that. I mean, I,
0: exactly. That's one of, of, course that's not. One of these, no. uh,
1: yeah, and, and I, I'm glad you pointed it out. Here. Just just in terms of going back to the lies we're always told, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I often ask people, I said, where did you hear that? Okay, do you have any proof that that was ever said? And uh, it goes back to the education we receive as Americans or wherever we receive yes, it, as, yes. as British people whoever whoever has written your history, it, it's hard to find people who haven't been infected with, yes. with these ideas.
0: It's a naturalistic idea that society has to be divorced, cut off, chopped off from the church and reorganized in a revolutionary fashion from any, from any religion at all. Um, and then, you know, uh you, you uh-huh. doubtless have been following a little bit the, uh, the discussion this year about these, um, these so-called black masses and the different, of the, to their credit, the Novus Ordo clergy, some of them being exercised and very concerned about these black masses. are supposed to be one in Harvard. I, I gather there's still supposed to be one in, um, in Oklahoma City, of all places. But uh, look at the history of the black mass in the French court. Oh, my goodness. There was more than one. The French court was a sewer of immorality, sewer of immorality, uh, and and the king himself was very often little better than a sewer a sewer rat in the way he led his own personal life of of disgusting immorality, which was institutionalized because he was his Majesty. The king, and he was also the one who was going to rule over the church and approve this and deny that. So there, there's a divine and a human element th- th- that would lead to the setting up of of the French Revolution. But there's a the demonic element too. There's the satanic. There's the occult, and I don't think that that can be uh, can be lightly lightly passed over.
1: I can um, hardly believe, especially because we're only a few, or we're not that long from the feast of Saint Louis here in the country. that to think that. Uh, that these are all relatives of st louis you know this wasn't some pe- this wasn't a group of people who'd never seen what uh a saintly king was like you no know, not not every they had country the blood
0: that's yes, right they had they had the noble blood they had the, they had the blood of a saint remember it was it was if i'm not mistaken philip ferrer was a grandson of uh he was a grandson of st louis imagine and he was the one who sent his lieutenant into ancona in italy to slap the Pope in the face and to pull him mm-hmm. off of the throne and to pull his pontifical vestments and his tiara from him. So that alone would merit the the, the chastisement of the French Revolution, I have no doubt. But how patient the Sacred Heart was, uh, that Christ the King was, over all those centuries of affront on the part of the French against uh, the papacy, against the rule of God, in, in every in every meaning of the term. Really, once you start to read a little bit of the history and reflect as a Catholic upon it, you think, wow, how did they make it to 1798, or 89, rather, excuse me? How, how did they last? The, the patience of God uh, went on. And then, and then even afterwards, our Lord being so, so patient about the, the different restoration efforts in the, in the 19th century. But um, we probably want to talk about, uh, to make it clear, uh, you know, for, as we're, we're going because they said the French Revolution is so very important that um, it's it's the it's it's how did it come about? In addition to what I've just said, remember it's because of Protestantism, the religious revolution, divided divided the religious man from the social man, make, making religion to be something just personal, subjective, and interior. Um, because of um the division introduced by the the destruction of authority in Protestantism, every man is his own preacher, every man is his own teacher, and that led to such uh, such division that, uh, uh, natu- that this, uh the form almost naturally of uh, the an attachment to natural religion or deism developed that is to say there are there are no re- revealed religious truths, not at all there's just a sort of a one freemasonic god um the um, this the spirit of revolution, per se, and in and of itself, uh, came in because of, of, of the Lodge. As we've been saying, it also came in because of the philosophes and the, and the encyclopedists. And um, the, the spirit of the Protestant revolt inspires the uh, French Revolution in the sense of the doctrine of equality of people and equality of the priest, the two of them. Uh, perfectly equal to each other. You, you will see that with the idea of liberty, equality, and of fraternity. Um, the, the idea of the sovereignty of the, the, the proclaimed or so-called sovereignty of the people. Uh, the government is just a servant of the people, uh, which and so the government could be changed at any time according to the uh, to the will of the people. Uh, the next thing I suppose that we will we'll need to talk about is the. Um, is the the, the great motto of the French Revolution. Oh, all three of disgusting. which, all three of which, the liberté, égalité, e, e, fraternité. Uh, you, you you probably see it quite well. You see it over the city hall, don't you? Yeah, oh, where, where you just, go to a French yeah, just, town or village, you just see it everywhere. <laughs> you you do you do see it everywhere. At liberty. It doesn't mean the freedom to do God's will. And which would be liberty in the good sense. Freedom, but it means specifically from God's representatives. Freedom from the king, freedom from the pope, the bishop, or the priest. Uh, it means the overthrow of any and all legitimate authority, which is that of the church or that of the king. Um, and, and it's this idea that man, the idea of Rousseau, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, and also the Illuminati, that man is is, a, is enslaved. He chafes in his chains of of uh, of a society of the of this Christian society, and that the only way to break the chains is to have a, a true revolution and establish democratic, socialistic states, um, in which the principles of what of what they call the social contract are very firmly in place. So that's there. But of course, as you see with all of this, all the way through. From the deistic religion, uh, the, the Masonic goal of brotherhood and all just getting along, to the false idea of, of, of liberty and the rest, they these are, are words. But the reality is what? The reality is is a true tyranny, and un, uh, and that's something I would like to stress throughout this show today. It's a true it's a true enslavement of the mind, and of the tongue and everything else because. You, First of all, because you have no right to tell the truth. The next, because the liberals are the last people to be liberal. They have never been tolerant. They don't even apply their own principles. They, first of all, do not apply their own principles. And that's why there's always such a bloody, a bloody price to be paid whenever you see one of these revolutions taking place. So then the false idea, next, the false idea of um, equality. It doesn't mean an equality of nature, uh, that that would pertain to all men. Bishop Sanborn says that, but but rather it refers to a social equality. And, uh, this is what I referred to earlier: the social contract theory of Jean-Jacques Rousseau. The state is composed of equal individuals, and these individuals commission government officials to keep order. Uh, authority does not come from on high. It denies. Uh, the, the, the right to rule for anyone coming from Almighty God, and then a fraternity, um, the, uh, the, which serves as a, the whole idea of the Masonic fraternity is a replacement, as we 've seen already, for the mystical body of Christ, for the true ties of society that, are, that, are, that, that run through the, the mystical body, Jesus Christ, our head, Mary the neck of the mystical body, and we, the members. Of the mystical body, instead there's this great fraternal mass. There's a brotherhood, and the brotherhood is the Masonic brotherhood. That's and that's what's uh, important. In addition to those three, you have to say almost right away, almost in the same breath, uh, democracy. Democracy doesn't refer to the popular election of officials, and that's the end of the story. They use democracy in the sense that mm, power to the people, power comes from the people. That's the idea. The power comes not from God but power comes from the people. Uh, This is um, one of the great principles of the revolution, the American Revolution, the Protestant Revolution, and the French Revolution. It's all this this false idea of the concept of the the origin of of authority. Socialism, that's another another (coughs) key element here. Even though you wouldn't think of socialism really as coming in almost until the, the 19th century, Karl Marx. But no, already in the French Revolution, um, uh, socialism, is, you see it, it's the social and economic effects of, of the idea of equality uh, applied especially by means of this, uh, this social contract theory. And then uh, next, uh, in, in, um, embodied in the so-called Declaration of the Rights of Man, you have all these liberties, liberty of re- supposed liberties. Because as I've been pointing out, and I don't think we could say it often enough, you're not really free. You're not really free to practice any religion you want to. You're certainly not free to say anything you want to. And there's no liberty of the press to speak of. It's all it's all run for your convenience. So it's all it's all controlled. But they use they use these liberties in order to destroy the old society, any remnants of Christendom, and really any remnants of a traditional order. And once that's all smashed and destroyed, with the idea of corresponding rights and duties, and uh, and a certain c- civilized quality of manners and courtesy and the rest. Once that's all just swept away in this tidal wave of blood, why then, why then, then they put the screws to you, and and uh, you'll see how much maybe how much liberty of religion there truly is, or how much uh, liberty of uh, the press or of speech there truly is. But four. You know, for the sake of it, we should say that they claim that liberty of religion um, is, is, is a natural right that, that that man has, that he's born with, that it is absolute. And of course, at Vatican II, that entered into the official teachings of that new and that false church, of the, as Archbishop Lefebvre called Vatican II, the Church of the Revolution, of the French Revolution, finally come to the, uh, to the Vatican. So, uh, one of the first acts of the French Revolution was to establish freedom, to practice all religions, and then to accept the Jews as full citizens, citoyen citizens, of this new new French state. So everything is secularized. Everything is absolutely and totally secularized. And the state is uh, is, uh, either atheistic or, at the very least, it's uh, an indifferent state. Uh, Freedom of So-called freedom of the speech, freedom of the press, those are hypocritical notions, but they're used, as I say, as, as a means to lull people or to, um, or to destroy what was left over from the past. But all of this, if you tried to oppose any of the myths of the revolution today or the worship of the all-powerful state and the war machine and the rest of it, you would see how far your freedom or your liberty actually would go in, the, in, in our post-revolutionary uh, countries and democracies. It wouldn't go very far at all. Because those are all just words, and they're words that are used truly, uh, truly hypocritically.
1: I think, Your Excellency, one of the, the, uh, the burdens of, uh, of knowing about history is sometimes they can make your, your journeys a bit more unpleasant. I think I've shared with you on more than one occasion how happy I am to be around the cathedrals and museums here in Europe. But this also means that I have to deal with uh, metro stations called Garibaldi or other things like that. Yeah. Um, sure. And, um, you know, uh, if I have a companion with me during the day, they'll, they'll watch me get a little irritated and uh, mm-hmm. and I'll say, and they'll say, you know, what is it? I said, well, you know, the man's a murderer and he has a subway station named after him and no <laughs> one notices. And, and I think that's, you know, obviously um, that sort of lingering injustice as a, as yes. a mm-hmm. enshrined fact that we just have to, mm-hmm we have to live with that. I, I suppose it's, it's a lot more in my face here directly because it's almost, it's almost as if the American revolution is a sort of whitewashed and it's all there in Washington, DC and it's in your face mm-hmm. there, but everywhere else mm-hmm. in the country, you know, you've got Walmart and everything else. It's, 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 it's not, uh, it's not as in your face, but here you can't go anywhere without seeing "Liberté, Galate fraternity or some other disgusting monument to, to this. And uh, obviously you're talking about Liberty of, of the press and this, this, this ties into the Declaration of the Rights of Man which is maybe one of the most hateful documents uh, I've ever laid my eyes on. Um I'm thinking of uh, a a useful phrase from a, a former classmate of yours to refer to this document which would be lies 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 lies.
0: Uh, exactly.
1: As I they're they all lies. All- there. Yes,
0: yeah lies on the theoretical level, and lies on the practical level of false promises, false advertising that will never, ever be carried out. It's, it's, it, it, it is simply a hypocrisy in order to destroy the true freedom of the children of God, which the Church and the monarchy, uh, in, in its proper role over the centuries, enshrined and, and, and promoted and took care of, and now it's gone, now it's entirely gone. Uh, it's it's interesting to consider you you mentioned about Americans and some of these things as being obviously clearly enshrined in a sense clear but but there yeah I think you have to say about America that it's hiding in in in, in plain in broad sight. daylight in plain <laughs> sight in broad yes exactly it's hide it's but it's still hiding because most eyes are just closed people don't have a don't have a clue or an idea but we're talking about these uh, the disgusting uh, Declaration of the Rights of Man and um, how how interesting that this declaration was was derived from the uh, the constitutions of several of the, of the American states, Virginia in particular, and New Hampshire. Don't tread on me. Um, and how all of the principles of the French Revolution had already been given a political expression at the very least, genteely and without uh, without the blood of the citizens flowing too much. But that's all found in the American Declaration of Independence and in the American Constitution. The Freemasonic state had already been established, but America at that time was not the empire that she has become today, so it was not very important. So these things had to be done at, uh, at ground zero, and ground zero was Paris, ground zero was France. And that's why that's why they had to do these things, and so that's why they, they went forward. With the with the detestable uh, declaration of the rights of man I in preparing for this for this uh, presentation I was intrigued to learn how early the um the the, the church the person of the Pope condemned the French Revolution I got the impression that there was some delay but oh no uh, the the Declaration of the rights of man was seventeen eighty nine and the the Holy Father who had Pay for this by being kidnapped by the wretched French. Uh, Pius the Ninth, excuse me, Pius the Sixth, in a letter to the Archbishop of Avignon in 1791, just a few years later, condemned the Declaration of the Rights of Man. It is enough, he said, to recall those 17 articles where in the rights of man were taken exactly in the same sense as they had been set forth and proclaimed in the decrees of the National Assembly of France. I mean, those rights so opposed to religion, so opposed to the good of society, and they were so taken that they might form the groundwork or the foundation of a new constitution. So there you have the, the voice of Peter, the voice of Rome, speaking very clearly from the very start of the revolution to, uh, to condemn it.
1: You know, you, you're actually as, as, well, and we hear a hun- an echo of that a hundred years later when Pius, when Pius IX of uh, Immortal Memory uh, said that he has heard quite enough of the rights of man, let us hear of the rights of God.
0: Um, indeed, indeed. No one ever talks about that, no.
1: I want no. to, as, as, as much as uh, I, I, my stomach isn't very strong today, but I would just like to read uh, a few of these articles, Your Excellency, and have you uh, comment on them, as the bile might rise to your mouth. Um, mm-hmm. We don't have time to go through all of the articles, but I just I chose a few of them, and um, okay. I, uh, I I would like to hear your commentary. So article the first article or the first lie: uh, Men are born and remain free and equal in rights. Social distinctions may be based only on considerations of the common good. Well, that sounds perfectly <clears throat> nice, Your Excellency. What's wrong with that? See, that's the
0: That's that's the beauty of this deception. You are correct. It sounds perfectly nice and utterly reasonable. Um, But men are not born free, nor do they remain free, nor are men ever truly equal in rights. Uh, And uh, social social distinctions uh, may be based only, they say, on the consideration of the common good. Social distinctions... Uh, reflect the reality of the way a society has been organized And, of course, what they're referring to is feudal society because from the the get-go, from the very first, they want to condemn and abolish and do away with all the remnants of feudal society in which man stands not alone but as a member of a class. They want to abolish these different classes, the class of peasant or being a knight, or or later on, the the, the class of the bourgeoisie or the class of the clergy, uh, the class of the aristocracy. They want to abolish that to to declare a sort of an artificial equality for everybody, but really, from the very first uh, article, you can say that these are just words. And look at it. Look at their society. Look at any society. You see. You see the reality. The reality is that of a very firm in place class structure. There are those at the top, uh, and those, uh, of the feed, feeding chain, and there are those at the bottom. And all of their all of their work serves only to after, every, after everything's been turned upside down and, and reconstituted, it just reinforces. But now it reinforces it with a harshness and with an inevitability that is, that, 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 that is a, it truly burdensome for the individual to be able to bear. So right away, you see the, the cruelty and you see the hypocrisy and, and the lie of it.
1: Article 2. The aim of every political association is the preservation of the natural and imprescriptible rights of man. These rights Whoa, are liberty, boy. property, safety, and resistance to oppression. Capital R, capital O.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, they, they, this becomes like religious, religious truths for them, and
1: uh, and we know what those. Code, the, the, you know what? You, we know what the code word oppression is. is code word, Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I was going to ask we, we, you we, see about yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, the second article. What, what your thoughts were?
0: The the organ the aim of every political uh, association is the promotion of the common good by means of the uh, promotion of the of the the rights. Eventually, the, the good that is, say, the glory of Almighty God and the rights of Jesus Christ, our King over society. Because without that. There there isn't any chance for liberty, there isn't any chance for property or for safety or the resistance to oppression. These are these are all of the things that they're going to in effect it's sort of a you read it sort of bizarre world. These are the things the revolution will take away from you. Any any liberty to carry out the will of God, certainly any property, which is subject to confiscation at any time. Certainly your safety, look at the committee of public safety. <laughs> you know, bring out <laughs> Right? Bring out the, robes, uh, Robespierre. Bring out the guillotine. That's, uh, th- that's all there is to it. And, uh, resistance to oppression, yeah a resistance to the to the to the mild uh, op- oppression of the of the french monarchy as it existed until uh, until the revolution but you don't dare uh, oppre- uh, resist their oppression look what happened to the Catholics of the Vendee region in france and the barbarities that were visited upon that people because they were loyal to the king and they were loyal to the, and to the pope
1: indeed indeed um the third article: the source of all sovereignty lies essentially in the nation. No corporate body, no individual may exercise any authority that does not expressly emanate from it.
0: So you can see the uh, you, you 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 might call Article Three the Gallican uh, the Gallican uh, article. Uh, it 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 uh, uh, embodies what Henry VIII put into practice in, in England and what uh, the French kings before the revolution put into practice. That is to say that we will not be subject to a foreign potentate, certainly not to the Pope of Rome. Uh, and uh, therefore, every, all authority comes from, from ourselves and that's so as to perfect the idea of an oppressive tyranny.
1: Mm. I'll read one more, Your Excellency. It's Article 11, uh, and it's something that uh, is, is very relevant in our Fox News driven culture. The mm-hmm. free communication of ideas and of opinions is one of the most precious rights of man. Any citizen may therefore speak, write, and publish freely except what is tantamount to the abuse of this liberty in the cases determined by law.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> If they still had a God, you would have to say, well, thank God for that exception, because <laughs> what about for all of the unorthodox things that, that, that could be spoken about? I guess we could ask Bishop Williamson to weigh in on this. He would be an expert witness. He, he His experience was certainly... Uh, was certainly quite different from this, but I suppose that would be tantamount to the abuse of liberty. In cases that have already been, as we say, determined by law, you can't even you can't even suggest any variation from the the party line, without being um, attacked and then and then actually prosecuted by the, by the government. Again, it's an exercise in, in sheer and utter hypocrisy and and in tyranny. Well,
1: you're actually there's 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 more consequences here in... um. And as I said at the top of the episode, we can't. We'll get to Napoleon and the spread of the the revolution as a disease through Europe on our next mm-hmm. episode. What I want to comment on here um, is the idea of uh, fake replacements. So people think we we will kill a king and we will set up a republic. We will kill the church and we will set up reason. And what they're affirming is the fact that you you. Human desires—you can redirect them, but they're still there. So the new religion for France becomes nationalism. You know, you, you forget Catholicism, and now your religion is your country. And I have to say, your Excellency, yes. as an American—that sounds awful familiar. Awfully familiar. Doesn't
0: really? <laughs> Do you think so? <laughs> yeah. Yes that's that's true we we keep we keep religion we keep religion in this place, but we keep religion um almost as as a handmaiden as it served throughout the, our wars in the last century as a handmaiden to the to the war waging state uh and unfortunately, many of the Catholic hierarchy played a prominent role uh in in the guilt of all of that. But, um, yes, that's true. That, 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 that is, that is certainly an absolutely true. That's, that's the role and that's how it is meant to be organized.
1: To see, is there anything more that we should know? I, I know we, we're trying to, to keep a, a sort of a cordon around today uh, talking about the French revolution. There's, there's more we want to talk about. Is there, is there anything more you'd like to talk about, um, in today's installment? So this is, I guess, French revolution part one, um, before we well, we
0: we, we want we, we, yeah we do want to stress. I, I want to make sure that everybody understands this false church. The first false church, well before the Conciliar Church, was uh, was Freemasonry. Bishop Sandborn calls it a counter church, and that's a very good definition of it. It was very active, and it continues to be active in in pursuing its avowed goal. What's the goal of Freemasonry? It is the replacement of the Catholic Church, replaced by their own um, infernal brotherhood. Um, So, from the French Revolution through today, uh, what what the the popes call this sect will have a part in in every event, in every episode, uh, in which another step is taken towards the promotion of a naturalistic world religion, such as uh, uh, Francis in Rome and his friend Shimon Peres in Tel Aviv want to see accomplished, as well as the establishment of a naturalistic world republic um the, the 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 french revolution then really came about because of freemasonry now the for the typical american freemason that would be shocking uh that would be uh, because they they don't see the evil of it not at all but re- remember what we said earlier in the show how freemasons free, freemasonry had infiltrated all the positions in France. Everybody was a Freemason, including the clergy and the bishops, the confessor of the king, and um, Freemasonic ideas had obtained everywhere, and they were they, they were accepted without any objection at all. They were they were given an unqualified acceptance. What do you want to say about about maybe the the, uh, the final effect of of, uh, of Freemasonry? Freemasonry. Won its, won its battle. This great nation was lost to the Church. This great nation was led into apostasy. And, and through France, then, the whole of the modern world was was led into apostasy. Um, there, there's something else which really does need to be said. Uh, Monseigneur de Lassus talks about the role of the other great force Organized in the organized forces of naturalism, the Jewish nation. Uh, I mentioned earlier about how one of the first things the French Revolution did was to bestow citizenship upon the Jew and then, and to make them to be, to be full fledged members of this new, uh, of this new, this new nation. Uh, Monsignor Lassus refers to the Freemasons as the servants of the Jews. That might sound a little shocking or even anti Semitic, but their their spirit was certainly the same and many of the leading liberal Uh, French uh, rabbis in the the 19th century uh, claimed the French Revolution and its spirit for themselves. There's a rabbi, Isaac Bloch, uh, Nancy, in 1889, who says, The spirit of the revolution and the spirit of the Jewish religion are one and the same. In the last analysis, the one proceeds from the other. The revolution has had the providential effect of bringing Judaism back uh, uh, to the way to be traversed in order to carry out its mission, and then this idea of the, the the mission of Judaism is a is the messianic state that's brought about by the Jews and and then ruled by their 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 Messiah, and they will bring peace and concord and unity to all of the world. Uh, that's that's that that also is a pretty good description of. Of, of Freemasonry, and that's pretty much what they want. A couple of um, couple of quotes that, before the end that I would that, that uh, further further quotes that that, that, I, that I would like to um, mention to everyone. Something I came across to my reading of Father Fahi, which is shocking because, uh, especially in, in France, a lot of the conservatives, a lot of the traditionalists. Will have, uh, understandably, a warm spot in their hearts for the Vichy government that was set up by the Nazis after the, uh, the armistice in France that, that uh, ended uh, the World War II in France, anyway, officially. Um, uh, but the, the Nazis remember they're part of they're they're, they're naturalists 100, and they're part of uh, they're, and they're socialists, but they're just national socialists, as well as naturalists. Those two ends have to be kept in mind. Their education minister, who is a man called Carcopino, uh, the, technically called the Secretary of State for National Education, he said, some, he said something shocking, but that, that shows us, you might say, white masonry, or white naturalism, that is to say, it seems harmless. But this is as is practiced in America. And, and uh, he, he said this in the uh, 1930s, but uh, it, it, is, it is now coming, coming about in this, in this new century. He said, the word God in the program of moral instruction in the primary schools is to be replaced by the expression, spiritual values. Or Christian civilization, or the native land, but you can 't say God anymore, but that that term spiritual values that struck me this whole idea of again a chopping apart a separation, the theme that we started with today uh, comes about between being a spiritual well i 'm a spiritual person, but I'm not religious, you know the The, the Vichy minister uh, predicted that coming and praised it and said that would be a good thing so long ago, so long and now. These things are finally and fully um, coming apart. Um, the, the other thing, uh, the other quote that I want is from the great Leo XIII. Um, he, he writes something so beautifully. He says, Never to have known Jesus Christ in any way is the greatest of misfortunes, but it involves no perversity or ingratitude. But after having known to reject him, to forget him, is such a horrible and mad crime as to be scarcely credible. So I, I think you have to look at, you know, if, when you visit France, you see there are these war memorials in all the churches and in each village. And you, you read the devastating effect of that war a hundred years ago, the, the, the Great War, they called it. And then World War II that came in its aftermath so many who died, and such an upset to all of society. What a ch- divine chastisement. But I think even then, it was a divine chastisement with an invitation to repent. But by then, it was already too late, certainly by the Second World War, and no one was going to repent. Um, Pope Leo the XIII um, goes on in a, in a sentence, which I think describes uh, us in in the modern world, wondering how much do we have to do with current events how much do we have to do with uh, with politics today and in our modern democracies our modern godless democracies their minds are busy with a hundred confused projects rulers and subjects alike traveling a devious road bereft as they are of safe guidance and fixed principle that's the catholic church that's the safe guidance Hers are the fixed principles. And so the bad guys keep us busy with all of this stuff, all the the news of the day and ISIL and ISIS and uh, bomb here or send troops there or tax this, oppose this other thing. But it's just a devious road. It's it's meant to distract us and keep us busy because we don't know Jesus Christ and we don't have that safe guidance anymore of the church and we don't have the fixed principles that once, very imperfectly, but that once worked in Christendom for for uh, for uh, a thousand years for longer than a thousand years and and now that's by the revolution it's entirely swept away
1: well, I think that's as good a place as any to put a um, a stop to this first episode okay. of the French Revolution your Excellency uh, as always uh, thanks for taking the time to talk with us I, I normally uh, halfway through the <laughs> the episode, I stopped to, uh, to, to read some of our, our legal jargon, but uh, I think I was so caught up today, uh, in our, in our episode and what we were talking about that I completely failed to do that. Uh, so I'll just do that (laughs) briefly. Um, you've been listening to Root of the Rot, uh, with his excellency, um, Bishop, um, Daniel Dolan, um, pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. Uh, I'm Stephen Heiner and, uh, Root of the Rot is production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved. Any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to mail, M-A-I-L, at truerestoration.org. If you have any questions about today's show, uh, if you need clarification on anything His Excellency said, if you want to vigorously disagree or vigorously agree, you can simply write to Root of the Rot, at truerestoration.org again, that's root of the rot at truerestoration.org. Um Excellency, as always, it's a it's a pleasure to be with you, and I I realize this means that uh, you're on the hook for another show on the French Revolution <laughs> next month.
0: I think so, but because it's so very important, I, I think this is time well spent. And after all, you're interested in it, I'm interested in it, and uh, if, I hope everyone will be interested in it, finally. If you want to understand the root of the rock, you need to know about the revolution.
1: Well, Your Excellency, thanks so much for your time, and we will see you next time.
0: You're very welcome, and God bless you. Thank you.
1: Thank you. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple ave for our work the next time that you pray. For the Restoration, I am Stephen Heiner. May God bless you.
0: we